As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? This week on Catch and Shoot 2.0, we've hit the quarter mark of the NBA season. And who are you taking, the Suns or the Warriors? Strangely enough, these two teams will meet twice this week or the field. One of those teams in the field has gotten the fans in the Windy City pretty excited. We talked Chicago Bulls with a four-time NBA champion who follows the team on a daily basis. But first, Darlene, let's get to it. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. <laughs> His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first and tattoo. And with that said, hi everybody Fellas. and welcome to another rendition of Catch and Shoot 2.0. I am Aaron Berlin along with my partner. He is the one, he is the only, and it is great to have him back behind the mic this week. His name is Otto Strong. Otto, what's up? Hey man, uh, look, I, I I know we're going to talk about some some Thanksgiving stuff later on, uh, but I got to say holiday related, it feels like we're we're getting two Christmas gifts you know, in, in early December, late November, early December. And that would be Warriors and Suns. Like uh, these two teams going at it twice within the next couple of days. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. It is. They're, so full disclosure, they play tonight, which is a Tuesday night that we taped this show. They will play again, I believe, on Friday. Correct. And so that's the interesting part of this is we wanted to talk about this basketball game. So we're going to find a way to do it. And so we're going to say with these two teams – would you take one of these two teams or the field if you were choosing the rest of the way? I would take one of these teams. And like I said earlier this uh, season, I would take the Warriors and I'm sticking with the Warriors. Wow. All right. Tell me why. Sell me on it. Okay. Well, so they're 18 and two and you, 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 you might've heard that they, they've got this, this, <laughs> they got this guy who's, who's, who's going to be coming back in, 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 a, in a little bit. Uh, it was Clay does, you know, Thompson plays, plays a little ball, can hoop a little bit. So, I mean, I just like, I mean, are they going to go 18 and two, you know, and what it map that out or whatever, whatever, whatever that is, you know, have a, have an eight loss season, you know, obviously probably not. Um, but I just, you know, they, they are playing with, with, with fire, with intensity and, and just look like they're having a ton of fun out there. So, I mean, for all of those reasons, I just, I, that's, that's, that's where I'm sliding my chips right there. Does it feel like the Warriors of that dynasty era, you know, when they won, what was it? 72 games. Yeah. It, it, you know, what? honestly, it, it, I mean, the record would say that, but it feels different. I mean, it maybe, maybe because of Clay's absence, it feels like as someone who watched yeah. those teams um, intently, I was there as they were proceeding, it feels like, okay, we're just waiting for this. Maybe if he were on the floor, I might feel that way, but it feels, it, I don't know. Is it, is it a weird thing to say that it just, 
Yeah. No, because here's here's the thing, and we've spoke about this the last two, I guess it's really been about a year and a half where the Warriors have kind of slowly been rebuilding themselves as they've dealt with injuries, right? That the worst thing for the NBA was for the Warriors to have these injuries where they could supplement their roster <laughs> when everything turned back over, right? Yeah. Like when Clay was back, when he was healthy, when Steph was healthy, now they have top draft picks. They have young players who can actually contribute off the bench. And it's showing why this organization was so resilient over the last year plus, right? Because they knew this tide was coming. They knew that this monster that has just been sleeping basically over the last year plus was going to resurrect at some point. And it's like, man, it's here and the West is better for it. But I will say this. I'm not going to take either of those teams. I will take the field. You know why? Because my percentage chances with the other 28 teams in the loop are better. And I still believe, I believe this, the Eastern Conference is going to win back-to-back NBA championships this year. Okay, so which team is going to beat the Warriors? Well, so that's that's seven? the beautiful thing. I don't have to choose one team. I get to okay. choose the field. I'll take I'll take the Bucks. I'll good, take a Nets one. team if they ever figure it out. Right? Uh-huh. Um, maybe a Sixers team? Probably not. Probably but I'll not. take one of those two teams. I'll, okay. I'll bet against it. Okay. Okay. You you and you and your field enjoy enjoy the enjoy. And I also have the Heat too, right? Like I have them as well. I'll throw yes. them in there. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm just not I'm just not seeing it. But you know, whatever. I just don't buy into the hype, Otto. Yeah. You know? Uh any any thoughts on the on the Suns? As good as they've been and as good as they were last year with making it to the NBA finals, I can't do it. I can't bring myself to fully buy in on them. Because I still can't believe that Chris Paul is doing the things that Chris Paul is doing at this point in his career. Mm. Like it's amazing to me. And I think at some point that has to fall off. I don't know how long you can play at the age that he's playing at and not have, I mean, he's gotten better over the last two years from what we saw the two prior years, right? And his time in Houston and Oklahoma city, he's better now. I don't know if that's just because he has a roster that can help him more than he did at those two stops, but it's amazing. And it's, I just can't, I'm not fully there. I can't as much as I loved what happened last year. Sure. And it was great to see them make that run of the finals. I don't think he can do it back to back years. I think at some point there's going to be an injury. He's going to fall off where and tear on an NBA season catches up. You know, he's got to play an extra 10 games this year. Right. So that's why I'm taking the field. Okay. All right. I'm sticking with Golden State. All right. You do you. Do you know who else is in the field that I have over your potential NBA champion? Who's that? The Chicago Bulls who are making a little bit of a run and it's got Bulls fans really happy. You want to talk to one of the Windy City's most well-known former Bulls? Let's do it. The Chicago Bulls are off to a surprising start, and while they have cooled off a bit in recent weeks, they still have one of the best records of any team in the Eastern Conference. To talk more about Chicago's rise, we bring in four-time NBA champion three times with the Michael Jordan-led Bulls and now studio analyst for the Bulls telecast on NBC Sports Chicago. He is the one. He is the only. His name is Will Purdue. Will, welcome to the show, my man. Gentlemen, I appreciate you having me. Glad we were able to work this out. I've been, I'm looking forward to it. So what, so 
from a 360-degree view out, what has gone right with the Bulls so far this year? Let's start there. Let's make it simple. Well, let me go back to I agree with how you opened. Um, surprisingly, they lived up to expectations earlier than I thought because you always were asking yourself, okay, how long is it going to take this team to put things together? But probably the thing that's been the most surprising and pleasantly, obviously, that I think has led to the number of wins is the, the intensity of which they play defense. And the, I guess, the best way to, to put this is um, the acceptance that Zach Levine has now had to really put forth an effort on the defensive end. And I think that that started uh, this past summer with the Olympics, um, you know, being with those guys, um, being in the mix of that many good players, also going to the all-star game last year, um, you know, finally realizing that I just don't want to be known as a scorer. You know, I, I hate to use the term, but it's a term now that everybody uses is a two-way player. I always thought that everybody was trying to be a two-way player, but that's just, you know, there's different categories now. And then he's never been on a winning team. He has followed suit, and that suit has been uh, from Alex Caruso. That, that pursuit has been from Lonzo Ball. And what he's done on the defensive end has really impressed me, and I think because of they've all bought in and listen, it's the technique's not the best, but the effort and the intensity of which they played, I think, has surprised a lot of people and their opponents. And I think it's just it's it's really helped them on both ends of the floor. But it's just their ability to lean on their defense and make stops and just, you know, play at a different level that this organization hasn't seen in a long time. It's really interesting you raise the. Um kind of the Olympics bring that, that, that basically bringing that, that, that fire, that passion, you know, bringing it back and, and uh, having to show up in that way. That's, that's the, uh, cause we, with all the talk that we heard about the Olympics, we you kind of almost forgot that, 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 that thing, that, that, you know, even, 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 uh, even went down. Um, so kind of tell us about the dynamics of the, of this kind of team in the locker room. So, is who's who's kind of seen as the alpha who's seen as because it's you got a you got a mix of a number of guys who are coming from various places and i've come as an outsider kind of wondering how that how that how they're making that work well let me let me go backwards auto before and let me ask you a question you know and then we'll i'll address that i mean you've been around enough i've do at games i've you know we crossed paths numerous mm -hmm. times in in years past when you throw pride into the equation. I mean, I, I'm asking this question specifically about Zach, but I think as I ask this question, I think you'll understand where I'm going. Yeah. You know, because one of the things that Pop talked about was Zach came to him and said, how do I get on the floor? Mm -hmm. How can I play? Because everybody here is good. Right. So, and then you throw pride in the equation because yeah, yeah, I'm playing with a bunch of all-stars and probably, you know, Hall of Famers, guys that are going to be in the Hall of Fame. But when you throw pride into the equation and say, hey, you know, you were on the Olympic team. But then all of a sudden, you know, in the back of the, their mind, they're like, yeah, I was on the Olympic team, but I didn't really play a lot. But, yeah, I was there. 
that pride kind of kicks in and all of a sudden you're like, I want to play. How do I get on the floor? And, you know, Zach went to pop and asked him about it. And, and uh, I think he, he sacrificed scoring and other aspects of his game to really try to work and commit to the defensive end. So in all the years that you've been covering this game, especially at the NBA level, when you start talking about, and I'm not saying question, but when you start thinking about, okay, a player's pride, he's, he's now, this is self-inflicted. You know, he's, con he's concerned about the pride aspect. That takes the effort and the intensity to a different level. Otto, you, you've seen this. How, does, how do you recognize that? And then what sometimes what is that defining moment that all of a sudden that pride kicks in and you're willing to do anything just to get on the floor because of your desire to play and contribute? Uh, are we talking about in terms of uh, in terms of Zach, or are we talking about just in terms of in, ge in general terms? Zach, or just an NBA player in general? Because you can talk about guys coming off the bench, you can talk about starters, you can talk about all stars. I mean, that's kind of what defines these guys and kind of separates them into different different groups as far as like you know all time greats, top seventy fives, all stars, superstars, you know, great role players. From what I've seen, it's that it's that moment where a guy says, you know, yes, I'm I'm elite. I'm you know, uh, one percent or the one percent of the one percent. But then there's that moment where they wake up, and yeah, you know, I mean, obviously, guys are doing everything, uh, phenomenal players to begin with. But they just reach that moment where they say, you know what, I need to I need to up the game. And and I guess to what you're saying, Zach pulling pulling Pop aside and saying like, hey, how can I how can I become that? Um, and you know, you know, basically comes down to making making a sacrifice at some point. Um, that that's that's what I would say. I mean, that seems to be the universal thing that I've seen. You know, guys determining I need I need to be more involved in whatever aspect and making some in some type of a sacrifice. Not everybody makes the same sacrifice, but that's how I would define it. And I think that that's you know what uh, first and foremost, I think Zach has done that. He's deferred to Demar Derozan. And now to go to your question about, you know, the alpha dog, the fans, you know, they love Zach Levine here in Chicago. So they immediately want to say, oh, Zach's the leader. But at the moment, in my opinion, and from my eyes and what I've seen, DeMar DeRozan is the leader of this team. And I think I truly believe and feel that Zach's okay with that. Most notably because this team is winning. They're not necessarily, you know, putting out a, a thing of beauty at times, but they're finding they're finding ways to win. You know where I'm coming from. I, I I'm not. There's no zero disrespect with respect to who who that person is. I'm not asking because trying to you know crap on somebody else. I'm just asking as a no, as no, a fan. Because, it's just, yeah, but no, it's it, it's you, well, it's it's a valid conversation because I think the dynamics of teams are very hard to change. Like once there's a structure, like once there's a hierarchy in place, right? Like it's very hard for anyone to take a step down or to acknowledge that, Hey, maybe for the betterment of whatever organization I'm in, whatever team I'm on, it's better if I let this guy do this, right? Like that's a hard concept for someone to handle or deal with. And like that leads to a great question of how has Zach Levine handled all of this throughout this time? Right. And I'll go back to Otto for a second and be like, I, you, you gave me the answer that I was hoping for. You know, because I think that Zach has made that sacrifice. 
because of the fact that, you know, yes, he was, he's always been looked at as a scorer. Um, he finally made the all-star team last year. But again, I, I keep going back to, and I think that sometimes people forget, especially fans, he's never been on a winning team. Yeah. He's never been to the playoffs. And I think that whether players want to, you know, publicly talk about it, I know for a fact they talk about it behind closed doors amongst themselves, amongst their family, amongst their wives, amongst their boys about the legacy. What's my legacy going to be? You know, when I retire, if I'm an elite scorer and I've accomplished all these goals from a scoring aspect, but yet I've never made the playoffs, you know, then you start asking, you know, Michael Jordan went through it as great as he was, mm -hmm. you know, people that didn't like Michael Jordan, they're like, Man, what has he ever won? Does he making anybody better? He dropped 63 against the Celtics, but he's still lost. You know, look what Larry's done. Look what Magic's done. Michael's not in their category. And you're like, oh, hold on a minute. So I think, you know, that, that bothers players. I know, you know, I'll do a great tease. And I think that, you know, a former teammate of mine is really concerned about his legacy and he's been ruffling a lot of feathers and Scottie Pippen. We'll get to that. But I think sometimes, you know, fans don't think about that. They only think about the here and now. And Zach has, has, in my opinion, made that sacrifice for the better of the team. But I think that he's realized that if we make the playoffs this year, I finally got into the playoffs. I think he feels like he's gotten the respect of other players in the league, but now he's concerned about, you know, and, and not that he loses sleep over it, but he's like, Hey, I want to be on a winner first and foremost. I want to change the narrative about who I am, what I stand for. You know, I kind of want to put the past in the past and I want to start playing in the playoffs. I'm tired of sitting at home in late April and May and watching other guys knowing I'm better than those guys but because they're on better teams or the sacrifices they've made, you know, millions of people are watching them in the playoffs and I'm sitting at home twiddling my thumbs. And now he's on the best team that he's ever been on. He's playing as, you know, him and DeMar, are, they're kind of like freaking fat really quick, you know, and it's, it's been impressive to say the least because I'll, I'll step up. And I'll say there's been times at games where I felt like maybe Lamar should have given the ball to Zach and let Zach, you know, take over. But, you know, Lamar was rolling and he took some, in my opinion, some ill-advised shots. But I feel like he's deserved that right. And eventually these two will figure it out. And then, you know, because I'm not to be like the get off my lawn segment, but I still come from the old school where I feel like there's a pecking order. You know, there's certain guys that just when it gets to be late game situations, you got to give them the ball. Yeah. And that's why they're there. They may be one for 12, but that's the guy I'm riding with. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. The second year guy or a rookie may be having the game of his life, but this is, you know, now you're talking about the games on the line. I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with Zach or I'm going to go with DeMar. So, you know, they'll figure it out. Billy will figure it out. So, you know, it's easy for me to be critical as an analyst, but I just – the way that they've been able to put this together so quickly, and I think it starts with Zach because of the sacrifices he's been willing to make. He's said all the right things. If he's not happy, he's definitely not showing it emotionally. He's not verbalizing that, which he's done in the past. So, you know, as you know, 
winning cures all ills. They go on a 10 game losing streak. Maybe all of a sudden you start to see cracks in the armor, but right now it's just, you know, full steam ahead. Definitely. Definitely. So Aaron, what do you think we, uh, uh, we, we talked to Bruce about getting a, a get off my long seg segment sponsored by Scott's or something. It just feels something, something, that, but, uh, but, but Will, so you mentioned playoffs and um, so Monday bulls, Charlotte just did it, did it feel like, did it feel like playoff, a playoff atmosphere in, in November? Is that, if, if, if that's possible, or is it just, I mean, the ball, the, you know, the ball brothers getting on the court together. Did it have that kind of elevated something? I'm not sure that that game did, but what okay. the game that did was the Miami game. Okay. Right. And they've had a couple, they've had a couple games in my opinion that have kind of had playoff atmosphere. I'll say implications, even though it's regular season sure. because of who they're playing. And unfortunately, in my opinion, they failed. It was early on against um, Golden State on the road. And DeMar DeRozan even talked about post game. You know, we played with good intensity in that first half, but we just, we just, you know, puttered out in the second half. We just couldn't keep it going. We couldn't respond. We couldn't answer, you know, the run that Golden State made. We, that's, a, that's a learning point. We got to be able to do that. That's playoff basketball. Then they played Miami this past Saturday. You know, Jimmy Butler comes in. The guys that they've been traded for was Zach and Jimmy. And, you know, it was kind of like we as, as fans and, and analysts were talking about, well, you know, what else this game provides is what some people felt was the worst free agent signing of the offseason and DeMar DeRozan to the Bulls. And what others think, you know, was the best free agent signing of the offseason was uh, all of a sudden I drew a blank, the point guard going to the Heat from Toronto, uh, Kyle Lowry. Lowry. So then all of a sudden you got that dynamic entering the game and it, it became uh, leads changing in the fourth quarter, teams scoring, going back and forth, who can lean on their defense. Boom, Miami wins the game. So you can say that, well, unfortunately the Bulls failed another test, but I think instead of saying failed, again, they learned the lesson of the importance of every possession. They learned the lesson of, you know, I think they had 20 some odd turnovers, you know, empty possessions, too many mistakes. In the playoffs, you can't overcome those mistakes like sometimes you can in the regular season. You know, boom, another one in the memory bank. We're building towards April, even though it's only in December. Well, one of the interesting things I think you pointed out is the fact that this Bulls team does have a few players that have been to multiple All-Star games, one of which I keep pretty close ties on is Nick Vucevic because he was here in Orlando for so long and he went back to Chicago in that trade last year. He's had a little bit of an interesting year, um, some struggles early on, injuries. And you brought up that Miami game, and I remember a piece that I read earlier this week about some of the struggles that Nick Vucevic has had in some of the bigger games this year. Now, this is also as he comes off a 30-point night against Charlotte the other night. Just what have you seen from Nick Vucevic this year? How has he kind of integrated himself in that Bulls culture? And then how has his role continued to evolve as he comes from a team, like you said, where he – he didn't win a lot. He went to a few playoff series with the Magic, but to say that they were a winning organization or a winning team while he was there, non-existent, right? Just how has he kind of taken a step back as one of the leading guys here and kind of settled into a role with Chicago? I think he's had to adapt, and I think that he's struggled with adapting to that a little bit um, because you talked about – because now, now as, as, as you pointed out, Aaron, I don't want to say – 
every game didn't matter in Orlando, but it's just different when you step on a floor, step on the floor and you're like, you think, you know, even if I score 30 and get 18 rebounds, there's a good chance we're going to lose. 100%. That kind of eliminates some of that pressure, you know, because you talk about, oh, pressure burst pipes. But so, but now he is, he's part of, and let's, let's be honest here. He's part of a resurrection of an organization that's won six championships. Those guys have mentioned how when they step on that practice floor at the Advocate Center or they, you know, are, are listening to the national anthem at the United Center prior to a game, they see those banners and they see the names on them, you know, with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they, they, they know how former players like myself that are kind of around you know, we want to get this organization back to that prominence. You know, I, I use the term contenders and pretenders. You know, everybody wants to get them back to being contenders. So they understand now the pressures. And these guys have even admitted now that it's different. We're getting people's best game every night. We're not sneaking up on anybody. You know, you're like, how does this team lose to Houston? Come on. You know, but it's – if you're not ready to play, is it, – Regardless of who you're playing, how young they are, how many games they've lost in a row, if if you don't come ready to play, all of a sudden you're in the fight of your life just to get a win. Much less, you know, just put yourself in a position for the playoffs or just kind of, you know, be in the might the right mindset. And I think that it it's you've seen it affect Zach some. You've seen it affect Vooch, in my opinion, a lot because, I mean, the dude we had a game. I forgot what game it was. This guy was missing point blank layups with no defenders around. And you're just like scratching your head going, what the hell is going on here? But it's also, as he mentioned, um, you know, he had a really, really great, what was it? 30 and 14, maybe against uh, Charlotte, where he talked about how he's just, he's putting so much pressure on himself because he feels like, he feels like when he plays poorly, he lets his team down. He lets the organization down. He lets the fans down. You know, this is this is a new experience for him. You know, and it's just he's he's got to adapt. And it's just he needs to become more consistent. He knows that. You know, I don't expect him to put up 30 every game, but he needs to be a walking double-double. He needs to be able to shoot and continue to shoot that 40% from three to spread out defenses so they can continue to run the pick and pop. And, you know, he's starting, you know, even when he was struggling, you know, Aaron, I will say this, he was doing really a great job offensively as facilitating, helping him run the offense. And when he had to miss those games because of COVID protocol, protocol you saw how the offense sputtered. And it kind of became a one-on-one, okay, Zach, you go, and then DeMar, you go, and now Zach, you go, DeMar, and a lot of guys standing around and watching. He comes back, and you saw, you know, 133 points against Charlotte. The ball's moving from side to side, and a lot of that is Vooch, you know, getting it and moving it, getting it and moving it. You know, just the experience and him doing the right thing with the basketball makes a huge difference on the offensive end of the floor. So, Will, taking a, kind of taking a step back, um, you talked about this team not not sneaking up on 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 other teams, and so what do you see as the as this team ceiling? I mean, it's uh, I know it's I know it's early. I know we haven't depending what time zone you're in, you haven't hit December yet. But uh, well, how do you how do you where do you see these guys coming? Well, as you pointed out, Otto, it's early, right? Mm. But let's just 
hypothetically say best case scenario, you somehow, because I think we all know who Milwaukee is and what is, what's their main goal? Be healthy going into the playoffs, right? So they'll continue to win games. Giannis has been incredible. But as guys are out with injuries and they're, you know, putting lineups together with Band-Aids, they're probably going to lose some games. They're going to rest guys as much as the, the league hates that word. So they're not so concerned, I, you know, like in years past of having the best record in the regular season, getting that number one seed, getting home court. Because now they're the defending champions. They know who they are. They know what, they know what they're capable of. Brooklyn, you know, now Joe Harris is out for, you know, extended period of time. They're struggling at, you know, to, to put wins together. Uh, you know, I looked at Blake Griffin's numbers. He's now out of the rotation. You start to wonder, okay, who are they? We know who they are on paper, but that's not who they are during the games. You know, it's Steve Nash and his group, are they going to figure it out? You would think so. But, you know, this, this whole Kyrie thing's thrown, you know, thrown a wrench into the equation. So then you start thinking about, okay, so where do the Bulls stand? I think there's a group of teams, Charlotte, Miami, Atlanta, Chicago. There's those four, in my opinion. You're like, any one of those four teams could come out. Because now you look at it and you say, I think the Bulls could possibly be the Atlanta Hawks this year of they somehow – you know, at the end, it's not necessarily where they finish in the standings, but it's where they where they finish that puts them in the bracket for the playoffs. And all of a sudden, you see Milwaukee and Brooklyn are on the other side, and then you realize, holy cow! If things go really well and everybody stays healthy, and you know, something happens, this team could make the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, a lot would have to go right. But it, it could happen. And to me, that's best case. That I still don't think, you know, they make it to the finals, but just a little bit of luck to the draw, a little bit of teams resting players, you know, a little bit of you make a push at the end of the year and all of a sudden, you know, everything's lined up and it's like somebody that just, you know, they, they buy a lottery ticket as they go by the table, they throw down two bucks and say, give me a quick pick. And all of a sudden it, it hits and you're not even paying attention. And that could happen to the Bulls. Sure. I know sure. a lot of people are like, eh, I don't know about that, but that's one of those things where I think they have that talent on paper to do that because now you got multiple scores, you got a big, their defense is really good. And let me just to take this full circle, Otto, that playoff atmosphere game against Miami when it came down to possession after possession after possession. You know who actually played the best in that game? was none other than a guy that came from the Lakers that's won a championship and Alex Caruso. I was going to ask you about him. <laughs> I was going to ask you about him. because. It, but in that game, the play, the game that's probably been the most – and every player in their post-game press conference just talked about the playoff atmosphere, the intensity. They were gutting out possessions. In that game, Caruso played 34 minutes, 22 points, Six of eight from the field, three of four from three, seven of seven from the free throw line, six assists. You know, he just, I, I, 
he only had one steal, but I can only imagine how many deflections. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy that has that experience that's been there, done that. Yeah, he's, and he's that's what these guys are working on. This is what they're feeding off of. You know, yeah. guys like him, guys like Demar. You know, guys that have that experience that you know they really respect, they listen to. And, you know, my understanding is when I talk to some of these guys, they're just they're really tight. They're in tune to each other. Um, They're taking a page out of the Golden State Warriors book about dining together on the road. You know, it's it's just they it's almost like these guys are just trying to expedite the process. And you can call it whatever you want. Cheating, crib notes. You know, let's take a page out of Golden State's book and let's take a page out of this and let's hey, you know, we got all these resources. Let's use them instead of, you know, being hard headed and just trying to figure it out ourselves. Uh, you may, I'm glad you mentioned Caruso because um, uh, as a sports editor at Fort Worth Star-Telegram, Caruso being an A&M guy, I was kind of contractual, contractually obligated to ask that question. So I'm glad you <laughs> went there. But um, you, so, so Aaron and I have, you know, we've, we've done this cat podcast for, for, uh, down a couple of years now and we always kind of every now and again we come come around to this issue of of resting guys and as someone who you know played another era i'm kind of we're kind i think we're both kind of interested your take on this whole issue of resting guys versus not and you know where, where you come down on that you know i don't i mean i understand because one of the other you know things i throw out at people is if you go back and look at the bulls in those years we won those championships, we were at the top of the list of least amount of games missed because of injury. So guys were available on a regular basis every night. But it's, it took me a while to accept it. I begrudgingly accepted it, but it's just, it's just the mentality that players have now. It's the approach that organizations have decided to take. And to me, that's giving the players, in my opinion, too much power. But that's the route that, you know, teams have chosen to go. And it's not just about resting players and not playing all 82. It's, it's how they're treated. And, I mean, it's just like we always joke. Where I live in Chicago, I'm like four blocks from the uh, Advocate Center and the United Center where they practice. And I'm like, okay, here is an NBA player. Most of these guys are making, you know, 10, 12, others making 25 million a year. Let's like today, let's say today's a practice day, right? You can show up at the practice facility two hours before and there's two chefs and you can order an omelet and fresh fruit at the cost of the Chicago Bulls. And then you go in and you get your lift in and then you have practice. And as soon as practice is over, you know, the strength coach and some other uh, guys have now, you know, have a protein shake waiting for you. Then I'm going to go get a massage. Then I'm going to go get treatment. Then I'm going to go have the chef make me some salmon and asparagus for lunch. And then, oh, when I leave, I'm going to take food with me for dinner. And yeah, I'm making 25 mil, but I didn't spend a dime today. Oh, and then... Um, you know, can you uh, send last night's film to my iPod and I'll watch some I'll watch some game film tonight and then we'll discuss it tomorrow when I come back to practice and we'll be ready to roll. But that's that's the direction that we've gone. That's you've empowered players. And that's what you've chosen to do. 
So when players look at organizations and they're like, yo, man, look what Philly's doing with MB, or, you know, look what Brooklyn's doing with these guys, or look what the Lakers are doing with LeBron. That, that says a lot to players about organizations and the importance of players' health, both mentally and physically. And, and that has a lot to do with free agency and where players want to go and who they want to play for. So when you give players that much power, you have to continue to follow in those footsteps. And part of that empowerment has been resting players. Um, that's just a mentality that they have now. That's what they feel. You know, now there's a, there's guys that don't want to rest. They want to keep playing because they feel like that hurts their rhythm. And I, but I think it's just the players have to figure out what works best for them and be very transparent with, uh, you know, their coaches and the organization and not play that cat and mouse game. You can tell me if I'm completely off base on this because I'm just shooting from my own hip, but it does feel like there's a lot of tension maybe between older NBA players and the current generation of uh, superstars today. Does part of the way that the league has evolved over the last 30 some odd years as it's gotten bigger, does part of that and the way that the lifestyles have changed, does part of that play into those tensions? Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, when I was a player, I used to always talk about if you could just take the average person and when they want to have a discussion about Will Purdue or whoever, take money off the table and let's have the discussion. But you can't do it. It's just it's you can't because we're a society of. Of. Uh, you know, with social media and the Kardashians and, you know, what you what do you see? Money, 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 money. Money is power, right? And I mean, I'm, I work in Chicago on, on uh, NBC Sports Chicago and do uh, pre, half, and post. And if we ever want to waste about five minutes on the show, we'll just, we'll take Kendall Gill and we're like, hey, Kendall, you know how much so-and-so's making? And he'll, he'll go on a five-minute rant about what? That guy's giving you three points a night and two rebounds and a lot of DNP CDs and he's making 10 million. This is bullshit. And he'll go on a 10 minute rant and we'll just start laughing. And then while he's ranting, you'll be like, yeah, that is bullshit. That guy's making 10 mil, you know? So it's just, but you have to realize it's economics. It's supply and demand. You know what we were making you know, when I was playing, everybody thought it was bullshit. Now we look at what players are making. You know, I remember when I was in San Antonio and Dave Cowens was one of the assistant coaches. And Dave and I became good friends. And I'm like, you know, this is one of the top 50 players of all time. And then I look up his salary and I was like, hey, Dave, did you have to get a job in the offseason? He's like, listen here, you asshole. You know, and I'm just like, I'm not, I'm being serious, man. What you were you were paid what I, compared to what I'm being paid and now, you, you know, you take it, you know, 15, 20 years later, and I'm just like, but it's – if the teams couldn't afford to pay them, they wouldn't pay them that much. But with supply and demand in economics, that's just what it is. It's a great way to look at it. I, I do have to ask you this because I think it would be wrong to have a conversation on the Bulls without talking about Bulls fans in general. And I can – I'll tell you this, uh, Will – I, I, I do look at social media a lot and I have a lot of friends in the Kansas city and the Chicago areas as a whole. And for the first time in 
I don't know, maybe a decade. It really seems to me that my friends who are Bulls fans are excited about this year's team and they're excited about the direction of the franchise in general. How nice has it been for you? You know, just from someone who won championships with the Bulls, who was part of that golden era of Bulls basketball, to see Chicago fans excited again about this team. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, it's just, I mean, I literally, you know, love to talk about the Bulls. I feel very fortunate to have played for this organization, to have my name on those banners, to, you know, even to this day, People come up to me, whether it's at the grocery store, at the gym, the dry cleaners, at a restaurant, you know, some guy that's, you know, could be in his 50s, could be my age, some guy that's 75 will come up and they'll open their George Costanza wallet and they'll pull out a ticket stub and it says SRO on it, standing room only at some playoff game they went to, you know, in the early 90s at, you know, with an obstructed view in the third level of the old stadium where they had to literally, because of the fear of falling off the third level deck, hold on to the, 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 the uh, pole or whatever it was they were standing on. And they were just, they're so proud that they still have that ticket because they were there, they were part of it. And that's just like, it kind of, it still gives me goosebumps. And then we went through that period as, you know, over the last, you know, couple of years where you're just like, I'm going to the gym to work out and I'm standing in the gym and I'm like, I literally like would want to scream. Does anybody want to talk about the bulls? And I think if I did that, I'd probably get a lot of people just sticking up their middle finger, telling me to shut the hell up. But now, you know, people want to talk about, they stop me in the locker room. They want to talk about the game. You know, they want to talk about the direction. This team's exciting. Uh, it's just, it's done. I mean, they've, I mean, our tourists and Mark Eversley have done such a, great job of just totally flipping the script, doing a 180 in such a short period of time, you know, and it's just, it's been fun. I mean, I can, I can tell you, I unfortunately don't do every single game, but if I'm in town and not doing a game for whatever reason, I'm calling and saying, Hey, can I get tickets to the game tonight? If it's at home, cause I want to go, I just don't want to sit at home and watch on TV knowing that eh, by the second quarter, I'm going to be so pissed off. I'm not going to watch anymore. I want to be at the game. I want to be part of the energy. I want to enjoy it. It's, it's, it's fun again. I mean, it's just, you know, it, the last couple of years, people were going because they had the ticket and they didn't want it to go to waste. Yep. You know, now it's in demand again. They want to be at the game. They want to be part of it. I mean, I even sent a tweet out a while back when I jumped on a plane and I was at Midway and I was like, man, look at the number of, the Bulls hats, the Bulls jackets, um, you know, the swag, the sweatshirts, that stuff had gone by the wayside. And now, now it's back. And I was like, it just seemed like just yesterday people didn't care. They were just tired of, of losing and they were just like, eh, I don't even want to talk about it. I don't want to watch it. I mean, our ratings for the Bulls games and the pre half and post game shows are up 200%. amazing and, and Otto and I have this conversation all the time like it really matters for the league as a whole when his Knicks are good and when the Bulls are good and it's nice to see both um so last it's, question it's the major markets I mean I know but it's not uh, just the major markets it's it's the traditional teams that I feel people are nostalgic for 
You know, yes, like, no, you're, like, you're, like, 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 like the Mets are there, right? Nobody cares about the Mets, but they care about the Yankees because the Yankees have a history. Right. But I, if, if you go back and look at history, you know, like I always, Colin Coward always used to talk about when I used to listen to him about everybody says they, they love the story and the, you know, the, the little guy. But if you go back and look at the TV ratings, when the little guy makes it to the World Series or to the Super Bowl or to the NBA championship, the ratings aren't that good. You know, it's the Bulls, it's the Knicks, it's the Lakers. You know, when those teams are good, the ratings are up. Everybody, because of the nostalgia, everybody just, it kind of, I think, just brings everybody into the fold. And, and honestly, we don't care. The league doesn't care. You may watch because you hate these teams. And because they're good, you want to watch because you're waiting for that one game where they lose. You know? It's just like I've I've seen people all, um, you know, even in Chicago because it's been a struggle with the Bears. But, you know, like they're like uh, the Bears actually didn't get blown out and the Packers lost. It's actually a good weekend. <laughs> you know, but it's the same thing with the league now in the NBA. It's just, you know, because of that, because of that, it, it's just there's so much chatter on social media during Bulls games now. And it's not about how oh this team sucks. Oh, it's just. As you talked about, Aaron, just the excitement, and it's just I, – I think it's just – it's helped the league as a whole because of that. Yeah, it's nice to see positivity as opposed to negative stuff, and it's always good to hear. Uh, I, I will get – my producers will be upset if I don't ask this question, so I do have to ask you this, and then we'll let you go because you've given us more than enough of your time, and we're very, very grateful for it. But Billy Donovan, how much has he meant to this team in a second year? He's been huge because – the one thing he brought when he, when he took this job was credibility first and foremost. And it's, it's, it's not like he has set the league on fire, but it was what he was able to do in my opinion with Oklahoma city. I know Chris Paul had a lot to do with that. I know he had some talent why he was there, but the consistency he was able to do, what his teams have done defensively as far as the ratings and rankings go, you know, and I think that, you know, guys, especially most notably, we're back to, you know, Zach again, bought in, you know, Billy's been working on it. Billy's been chipping away. And even now the mentality has changed, you know, for him about how over the last couple weeks now he's talking about just the mentality of next play, next play, next play, stop dealing with the officials, stop groaning. You know, that's just, that's, that's a small detail. We don't need to worry about. We got bigger fish to fry. Let's just, you know, he, I think is doing an excellent job of game to game preparation, but the big picture of where this team needs to be, let's say the last 20 games of the season, getting all that, as you talked about, Aaron, positivity, proper momentum, playing their best basketball going into the playoffs, because I think this is a team that, you know, we've talked about resting guys. I don't think they can afford to rest guys. I think this is a team that needs to win as many games as possible so they can identify who they really are and have that confidence going into the playoffs because of the lack of experience as a whole that this team has. With, you know, playoff experience, they do, again, Caruso, a guy that's won championships, what DeMar DeRozan has accomplished in his time in Toronto and in San Antonio. But I think even them, 
as players will see a totally different level of energy and expectations from Chicago fans when this thing gets into the playoffs in April. Love it. Hopefully the Bulls are in the playoffs in April and we're excited to watch the rest of the way. Well, thank you so much for your time. You've been more than generous with it and we can't thank you enough for a great conversation, man. Uh, I appreciate it. Hopefully I didn't uh, go on too long on some of the answers, but uh, you know, we can talk to Bruce and then hopefully maybe we can do a, a part two in like uh, you know, two or three months and kind of get an update on where this Bulls team stands and how things have changed from our conversation in November. That was dope. And Will is awesome. I mean, I, I feel like there's a ton of stuff that we didn't get to, uh, but as you might have heard, we're, we're, we're going to bring them back for, for another segment. I guess we're gonna, we'll call it the next dance, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, any takeaways from you, sir? So I was really interested about selfishly because I know Nick Vucevic personally from his time in Orlando and I covered him for five years. I was very interested in how Will would respond to that because we had spent so much time talking about Zach Levine and the changes that he has made defensively to kind of help elevate this Bulls team, right? And how he's kind of had to take a step back to DeMar DeRozan. Well, Nick Vucevic has had to do that in a lot of ways with the Bulls as well. He went from being the number one option for the Orlando Magic for three, four years and consistently building on his game to kind of having to be a third, fourth, and sometimes a fifth option on that team, right? Like depending on how things are going. And so I was interested to hear how he thought that Vooch was adapting to that. And also just the way that he spoke about a young team that has never experienced winning, handling expectations, felt very much like a college team right? Mm, That has to be like freshmen or sophomores. And then when they're junior and seniors, they're ready to win. Right. Or like changing a culture, but it it was very much that way. And you forget just how downtrodden this bulls franchise has been over the last few years. And it's been tremendous to see, even if what we are seeing is a fleeting moment. And I don't think it is. I think it's sustainable, but man, guys about as well-spoken as they come, isn't he? Yeah, no, definitely. And I was just thinking uh, for a second, you know, a, a senior who plays college basketball, what does that look like? <laughs> <laughs> that looks like the entire Kansas Jayhawks men's basketball roster. Oh, year, okay. So. Well, there, you, there you go. <laughs> There's one. There's one. Well, so, so, so how far, I mean, you know, we, we, we had to ask Will the question, but let's, let's put ourselves out there. How far, how far do you think the Bulls you know, could go? That's a really interesting question. And I hate to have a show where we're building them up so much because of the tide that we've seen kind of turn over the last few or over the last month and a half that we've seen with this team. Right. But I feel like a second round appearance is probably right for this team. Mm -hmm. I I think they're better than an opening round loss. I, I think they'll get past their first round, but maybe, maybe a five, six seed and then a win in the first round and gets them to the second. What do you think? Yeah, I would, I would say, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I feel like Eastern Conference semis is where they would kind of tap out, you know, um, because you have to, you have to think that, you know, Milwaukee will have their stuff figured out. Um, Brooklyn will have their stuff figured out. Miami's going to be a handful. Um, and yeah, and you figure in and the matchups, of course, you know, who, who, you know, who do you, who are you drawing? Um, and at the same time, you don't know who's going to make a move 
right, at that's true. Um, the deadline to improve their roster too. That, because exactly I, I believe right. if you look at the Bulls, they don't have a ton of assets to move at the deadline, right? I believe they made a lot of moves last year to kind of shed some younger players to acquire a player like Vooch and also some picks along the way too. So I don't know if they have a lot of assets to actually move at the deadline. I could be completely wrong on this, but I feel like that's very right. But it also feels like it's a squad that could play pretty much the entire season without having to manage minutes or other things like that yes. to, to, to get the guys to, you know, other teams are limping, going to be limping to, to April and they feel like they could just kind of cruise in there just doing what they do. 100%. I think it's going to be a team that progressively gets better throughout the course of the year, too, as oh, they learn to play with each other. Absolutely. Thanksgiving leftover, man. Just leave that stuff in the fridge for a couple <laughs> okay. of days. It's a- oh, oh, okay. We're on the topic of Thanksgiving. Yeah. What side did you go with? See, I, I can't. You we know, do this I, every I, year. We do this I, I know, every year. I know. We have to go heavy on the sides. I, I heavy on the sides. So, so mac and cheese, yeah. um, um, mm. garlic mashed. So you, Ooh, take, you yeah. take the garlic, you stick it in the oven, let that sucker roast, squeeze off all the cloves, blend it. <sighs> Butter, salt, a little salt, pepper. You make you make the gobblers afterwards, the gobbler sandwiches. Oh, see, I've never I've never done that. I've never I've never oh, done the. Out. You're the, missing out, man. I know. I know. I, I, all right, I'm just gonna say this for all of our listeners before we do our close. The best way to do Thanksgiving is to obviously have the Thanksgiving meal, right? But then it's the whole next few days of the gobbler sandwich, the mashed potatoes on the bread with the turkey and then the stuffing on it. And then if you want to throw some cranberries in there, you do that. That's probably what I'm going to have for dinner tonight as we wrap up this show. You still have stuff left? Oh, dude, I'm like 140 pounds. I eat like a little bit. Of course I have some left. You can have stuff left by Christmas. You had a... But See, that's eat. the best part. They all just roll into each other. You got yeah. Thanksgiving, then you get Christmas, and then you get New Year's, and everyone's got big meals. But all right, well, we need uh, to wrap this up before Christmas. So let's do ab- it. Absolutely. Before our producers start getting to us. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. And so, with that said, time to wrap things up this week. Thanks to Will Purdue for joining us to give the lowdown on the surprising Chicago Bulls. And special thanks to our producers, the one, the only Daniel Kramer, and to our editor. He is Drew Rich, a Chicago native who is proud that his Bulls are experiencing some kind of success. Also, big ups to our king of content, our CCO, our EP. He is the double B. He is the one. He is the only. He is Bruce Bernstein. And as for the rest of us all at Pure Hoops Media has to offer, the Mike Wise Show each week brings you entertaining takes, incredible stories, and high-level guests. Monica McNutt and King McClure have buckets, boards, and blocks every single Thursday. BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast on Friday. And Otto and I are back next Wednesday with Catch and Shoot 2.0. Everybody, our big hope for this year is that every person on the planet gets the COVID vaccine or their booster shot so we can finally put this pandemic to an end. Uh, But we're not there yet. So protect yourself and others by wearing a mask, washing your hands, and maintaining some physical distance. Please don't forget the medical professionals and the other frontline workers who are doing their part to keep us safe. So my partner, Aaron Berlin, I'm Otto Strong. See you next week. Stay safe. Captain Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.